time now for the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. And now, here she is, the smart, the sexy, the savvy, Divine Miss C. And welcome to the show. Got a great show lined up for you today. I've got two guests in studio with me today. Uh, Dr. Marlene Siegel, who's a veterinarian, and I've got Lisa Williams, who is a Great Dane breeder and also does Great Dane Rescue. Yes. Um, yep, and I'm going to ask you, uh, Dr. Marlene, tell me a little bit about your background, because we're going to be talking about pets today. Well, thank you, Lori. It's always fun to be with you. I've been doing veterinary medicine for almost 30 years, and for the past 15 years, been doing alternative medicine, so a lot of work in holistic medicine. Great. And Lisa? Hi, I'm just a nurse by trade um, for 28 years, and I fell in love with Great Danes about 32 years ago, and I've had nothing but Great Danes for 32 years. Right, and you're with the rescue down in Florida. Right, and it's greatdanelove.org. Very good. And I'm a volunteer a long time, 15 years with Mid-Atlantic Great Dane Rescue League, which is up on the East Coast where I'm originally from. So I thought we'd talk about Great Danes, but some of this will be in, in general towards pets, and we're going to cover a lot of different topics today. So let's start with spay and neuter, because that's a hot topic. And, you know, wh what I see is that people still don't do it a lot of times, and that contributes to the overpopulation of pets that end up in shelters and you know subsequently those pets are often euthanized and that's a problem so I want you guys to just you know give me your opinions on that what can you do well from a medical perspective I know there's a lot of controversy as to whether or not you should spay and neuter and at what age you should spay and neuter but there's so much statistical evidence that shows that if you do spay them at a, or neuter them at a younger age that you eliminate so many health diseases. In the female dogs, we don't see obviously uterine cancer because there isn't anything there, but there's also a marked reduction in mammary cancer and other estrogen-based tumors. And in male dogs that aren't neutered, they have a much higher predilection for having perianal disease, testicular tumors, prostatic disease, and we really do see a lot of that coming in the door. I think it's a disproportionate number because the majority of the animals have already been spayed and neutered that we see, but of the ones that aren't fixed, I would say well over 70% of them come in at some point in their lifetime with a problem. Gotcha. Now, is there a certain age? I know, you know, when I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm on all the Great Dane lists. I know Lisa probably is also. And you see a lot of controversy because some people will say, well, you should not spay and neuter a Great Dane at six months of age because it can inhibit their growth. I, I've actually heard that, and I don't know if that's true. And some sometimes people say, well, no, you know, you shouldn't do it till they're a year or two old. But of course, we're not veterinarians. But people tend to rely on the advice of people in these groups without doing due diligence. You know, it's interesting, Lori, because there would be so much more benefit to these animals if they were fed a sustainable diet. And and not really make the big issue whether they're spayed or neutered. So many of the diseases that we see are totally nutritionally based. So rather than spend all this controversy over what age should we spay and neuter, let's start feeding these animals their biologically appropriate diet and let them be healthy to begin with. Right, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the nutrition part in it. But on the spay and neuter, and where I'm concerned being coming from a rescue perspective is if you have, you know, people who are who are doing the right thing and they're not going to show their animal, 
then they should spay and neuter. And I actually think it should be required under federal legislation, you know, le- legislation, because look at all the animals that are packed in all these shelters. I mean, here in Florida and Pasco County, I see them running specials where for five dollars or fifteen dollars you can you can get a dog. Yet people still choose to go out to breeders, and again, a lot of them don't do due diligence, and so they'll look on Craigslist where you'll see breeders who are advertising. And I have a problem with that because I don't think reputable breeders put it on Craigslist. So a lot of times, I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people and people will go out and they'll purchase a dog from a, quote, breeder on Craigslist. Those breeders often end up in, first off, in legal trouble. We can tell you lots of stories with Great Danes with, you know, people who do that kind of thing. But those things kind of concern me just as far as how do you teach people what is the right thing to do? Because to me, it's common sense because I'm coming from the rescue end of it, just like Lisa is. On the other hand, you've got the disreputable breeders who are doing it from the what I call the greed and evil sense of let's just kick out as many puppies as we can. We'll breed the, you know, the mother and father over and over. And then what happens? Well, in Great Danes, if you breed incorrect colors, you know you end up with blind and deaf Danes. So, Correct. you know what? Yeah. So, Lisa, why don't you give me your thoughts on that? Well, actually, my term for those uh, type of breeders are greeders because they're greedy and they're just about breeding in the in the money end of things. And for the most part, when people are looking for a dog, they're not getting healthy animals when they're coming from places like this. Quite often, they might say, oh, well, we took them to the vet and had all their shots. They're healthy, but they haven't done any preventative medicine on them to see if the joints are healthy and that's one of the chronic issues with Great Danes is joint issues, um, hips. A lot of people say well don't they all have hip dysplasia? No they don't because I have generations in in my pedigree of dogs that have all been health tested. They have been x-rayed free and clear. Doesn't mean that they can't get one that'll come through with hip dysplasia whatnot. But it, it just it makes the probability a lot less. Um, also, we do echocardiograms on our Great Danes. We do the SURF eye exams, which is a dilated exam by a veterinary ophthalmologist. And uh, the echocardiograms are done by uh, cardiologists that do practice veterinary medicine. So we do more intensive. We make sure that their thyroids are within normal limits always before breeding. And there's Orthopedic Foundation for Animals of America and all of our dogs are certified through that. And when you catch these breeders that are backyard breeders basically um, that are just trying to make a little money, um, what what you find is they've never had any kind of a test like that. And so you, it's a, just a crapshoot of what kind of illnesses, uh, hereditary diseases are in their background. Right, and that happened recently in, in central west Florida. Uh, I can't remember the name of the town, but where in the... In DeSoto. Yes, mm-hmm. where the, the, the people had, or the lady had... The Remington Danes. Yeah, the Remington Danes. Mm-hmm. There were about 100 Great Danes running around the property, and a lot of them were not in good health. And so she was just breeding them, but I don't know why she had 100 on her property. Maybe she was trying to sell them. And meantime, you know how Great Danes are. They keep growing bigger and bigger, and then they're all over the place. So she ended up, I, I guess, in a lot of legal trouble at that point. 
But the point is you want to stop that. You want to stop people from doing that. So I get frustrated like I'm beating my head against the wall just for the common sense end of it. So Dr. Marlene, on the, on the health issues, what Lisa was talking about, it sounds like those are all good tests to perform on pets. Do you, is that just for Great Danes? Or if someone is a breeder, do they need to do this regardless of the breed? Well, most of the things she talked about were breed specific. Not all dogs have heart disease on the level that a Great Dane has. But I want to go back to your your original question was, should we spay and neuter and at what yes. age? And I'll tell you from a surgeon's perspective, trying to spay a 150 pound Great Dane is an absolute nightmare. It's harder on the dog, it's much more expensive, and there really hasn't been shown any good clinical evidence that it is warranted to wait that long. So from a perspective of what it would be healthier for the animal, it would be to spay and neuter at a younger age. They have less fat, they're smaller, they require less anesthetic, they're healthiest at that point, and the surgery is much, much easier. The other thing is that the whole controversy of whether or not these Great Danes should be tacked, uh, having their stomachs attached to the sidewall so they can't flip. There's a lot of controversy about that. Uh, I think if you have an owner who is feeding a processed food diet, it's going to have a much higher risk of having bloat and all the mechanics that go behind that. Again, we're going to go back to nutrition. If we're feeding a sustainable diet and we're taking care of these animals with good gut health and we're really taking care of that microbiome, the, the bacteria that live in and on that particular animal, if we take care of that, we're not gonna see the diseases that we're seeing. If you look back, the root cause of almost every disease is inflammation. And that inflammation starts in the gut. So if you take care of the gut and you keep that gut healthy, you're really not gonna see a majority of the diseases that we're dealing with. Unfortunately, we live in a society where we're treating the symptom after it already happens, and then we're chasing the back end there, and we're really not treating the underlying cause. And that's true for people across the board. Exactly. We just allow ourselves to get into a mess, and then we go, oh my goodness, what do I do now? I take a pill, I take a potion. That's really not how health is. We should be about health care, not broke care. Right, well, well, the, you know, the, the pill is just for the symptoms. It doesn't have anything to do with the cause. And, and as you know, because you are the vet for my Nash, my Great Dane, we could talk a little bit about that food part of it because originally, yes, I had him on like a high quality kibble, but it wasn't working for him. He was reacting very, very poorly to it. And ultimately we ended up putting him on a, you know, on, on the raw diet. Yeah, I know you had to fight me on that, but I want to talk a little bit about that because it, it changed It changed the way he is. He's no longer, you know, having those diarrhea attacks and, and in the middle of the night, you know, when you clean up after a great day and we all know, we know what that's like. It's, it's like a human pooping all over your house. So let's talk a little bit about the, the nutrition end of it. Well, we are more bacteria than we are human cells. The actual microorganisms outnumber us by 10 to 1. And we don't think about ourselves as microorganisms. We don't think about the commensal things, that the guys that live in conjunction with us. But they are a huge component of our health. In fact, we couldn't have our health without them. So when we are feeding ourselves or feeding our pets, we really should be thinking about what are we feeding our microbiome? What are we feeding these bacteria that are supposed to be living in our intestinal tract? And what are we doing topically 
to the bacteria that are living on our skin? And what are we inhaling? What's in our atmosphere? What's in our houses? Those are the conversations that we really need to be having about how do we really take care of our bodies. And our bodies are 10 to 1 more microorganisms than they are us. So if we start paying attention to that and we start using cleaning supplies in our house that don't destroy the healthy bacteria that live there and we promote the healthy bacteria growth both on our bodies and in our bodies and we eat diets that actually enhance those microorganisms to grow and thrive then they're doing their job we're doing our job and our bodies stay healthy. When we don't do that, when we're feeding processed foods that don't have any enzymes and they don't have any live microorganisms in there and we're changing the gut flora and we're putting these animals on antibiotics or doing surgical procedures or having health challenges and we treat them with a drug that further disrupts those bacteria from doing their job appropriately, we get deeper and deeper down that rabbit hole of a dysbiosis or an unbalanced body and then our inflammation increases because we're dealing with leaky gut that's the tight junctions that live in the intestinal tract where things are filtered in and out sort of looks like a piece of cheesecloth if you were making soup and you only wanted the broth and you had your carrots and your onions and your bones and all that stuff in the soup and you go to filter that broth you're going to use cheesecloth to catch all the larger pieces and then your broth comes through to the bottom but in a case where you have a hole punched into that cheesecloth, then pieces can come through that aren't supposed to. And that's the same situation that goes on in the gut. We're supposed to break our food down using enzymes and the bacteria that live in the gut. We're supposed to break that food down into its individual pieces. So a protein gets broken down to amino acids. Sugars get broken down to simple sugars. Carbohydrates get down to simple sugars. When we have holes in that gut due to inflammation, due to inappropriate diet, due to chemicals, genetically modified ingredients, whatever, then you have these holes that are larger. Then you have these material like a protein that isn't broken down to its smallest unit. It sees that hole. It comes into the body, goes to the liver, where the liver mounts a histamine reaction to try to kill the invader. And that's the way the system is supposed to work. You have an inappropriate thing comes into the body. Your body has an immune system. It takes care of the problem and wipes it out. And then you don't even have to worry about it. The problem comes when it's every bite, every meal, two to three times a day, times your age. That is a tremendous amount of inflammation that you have put into that body. And it's going to go somewhere. In a lot of cases, it goes to the joints and you get arthritis. In other cases, it goes to ear infections and allergies and skin disease. And then ultimately, if it's not taken care of, we just see massive amounts of cancer, which is really just end-stage degeneration. Got it. All right, we're going to take a short commercial break. We'll be back in just a second. Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e-commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more, call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. That's James Carner. 813-777-4332. Do you 
you suffer from back, neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 813-935-1664 today. That's 813-935-1664 and get on track to better health. Welcome back to the show. I'm speaking with Dr. Marlene Siegel and Lisa Williams, and we were talking about pet food and, and the raw diet, the natural diet. So maybe tell us what what can, what makes a raw diet? What's in it? Well, the features that you're looking for in a balanced raw diet, and I just can't emphasize that enough that just throwing a piece of chicken down on the floor for your dog to eat is it is the worst thing you can feed. Is an imbalanced raw diet. That's the absolute worst. Don't go out there and do that. If you're going to feed a raw diet, you really have to understand the mechanisms behind it. And you want to get your recipes from a very good qualified source. There are good veterinarians out there that have published books. Dr. Karen Becker is one. She works with Mercola, has a fabulous book on making raw diets. So if you're going to do your own raw diet, you definitely want to get some instruction. But basically, we look for a diet that's 95% meat, and we want that meat to be grass-fed or free-range. So if it's a herbivore, like a cow or a deer or whatever, that needs to be free-range so that they're not getting genetically modified corn being fed to them, not just during their growing period, but in the last stages of their feed-out. So you definitely don't want to have any genetically modified ingredients going into the animal that's going to go into that product. The second thing that you want to have is just 5% of fruits and vegetables, and you want them to be high antioxidant, and they need to be organic. So going back to that whole discussion on is organic really important? And when we start looking at the change in the microorganisms in our body and what the pesticides, chemicals, genetically modified ingredients do to those those microorganisms, that's where the problem is. So let me reiterate, we want 95% meat-based diet from a grass-fed source. We want to have 5% fruits and vegetables. If you know where that meat came from, then going through high-pressure pasteurization may not be so important. But if you're getting a product, say, that's commercially prepared, I personally like high-pressure pasteurization, which is a 40-degree water bath under pressure. It's still raw because it is under 105 degrees when it's been processed, but it kills the E. coli, the listeria, and the salmonella, so there's no pathogens, which honestly is not so much of a problem for the animal, which if you look at your wild animals, they're out there eating on carcasses that have been laying in the sun. So they really do have mechanisms to deal with that. But my bigger concern is what's happening to the people who are handling the food and children in the household if they don't have good hygiene. So I personally like the high-pressure pasteurization in the diets. But the main things are grass-fed, free-range meats, so that are clean meats going in. 95% of the diet is the meat. 5% is the fruits and vegetables that make up organic a source that they came from. And then the high-pressure pasteurization is a bonus if you're buying a commercial product. 
Right, and you actually just touched on something. I was thinking about the salmonella because I've had salmonella poisoning myself from meat. You know, and again, I see on lists people say, oh, they're just going to go out and, and buy a chunk of meat from the butcher and feed it to their dog. And so that's not a good idea. No, not at all. Because you're you're risking it. It's not been pasteurized. And it's not been protected in some way. Exactly. And those a lot of that meat that is being shipped around the country has been shipped in containers after chickens and has feces exposure. And so there is a lot of contamination. So that would not be the best source of meat. Right. Now, one of the things I read about all the time, and I'm on one of the lists for recalls on food, because you'll see those recalls come through and, and you look at and they're major brands. And what I also find scary is a lot of these major brands don't manufacture the food or do whatever they're doing in the United States. It's coming in from China. China seems to bring in poisons, whether it's children's toys or whether it's dog food. And so therefore, I stay away when I look for any type of treat for my dog. The first thing I do is look to see, is it made in the USA, before I even look to see what the contents are in it. So any thoughts on that, Lisa? Yeah, I definitely agree with that because they, I've heard many times that their standards are less. And a lot of times with the recalls, they've traced it back <coughs> to what has come from China, that they have, um, the bacterium and whatnot has come over. Like the aflatoxins, I believe, mm -hmm. they're called, um, have, were originated in China. Gotcha. Okay. Now, one of the things I want to kind of go back on a little bit, I, I spoken earlier about was um, the breeding of color to color. And I know you know a lot about that in breeding Great Danes. So can you, can you explain, how do you know what colors not to breed? I mean, I'm sure there are charts, but with Great Danes, I know you can't mix a mother and father in certain colors because then they end up blind or deaf. So can you can you kind sure. of explain a little bit about that? Well, a lot of the thing is you can't look at a Great Dane, especially if you have Harlequin bred Merles, which come out of Harlequin breeding. Um, a lot of them, black and white dogs, is a good way to categorize them and just say, this is a Harlequin, so it's all Harlequin genetically. They have to do DNA tests and check to see what they are out of. And it goes back to reputable breeders. Backyard breeders don't spend that kind of money. But reputable breeders do because they want to make sure that they're not putting any lethal colors together. Um, piebald is something they often try to avoid. Or if they do use a piebald, they, they are very careful to make sure it's not put with another piebald. Explain what that is. What is a piebald? Um, the best way that people can see it is if they have a white head. That's kind of like the the outer expression that, uh, that the gene shows. And a lot of the times with the white heads, too, if the, a lot of those carry some of the deafness and whatnot. But then there's a lot of times that they are so spotted and they have found that some of those are still carrying that. So that's why the only answer is the genetic testing as far as I've ever been told. But the new thing is breeders are color testing their dogs and not giving a regard as to the lethal colors and putting them together to make what they call quote unquote rare colors. And they charge more than a reputable breeder does that has got fully health-tested champion lines. Um, they'll charge three to six thousand dollars for a dog that has 
a, a pedigree that's unhealth tested, unshown, unhealth clearanced, you know, and because it can make an unusual color. And they, it's like horses, oh, what a fleshy color. They see a fleshy colored Dane and they think they automatically can charge more money. Gotcha. It's, it's, it's a fake designer dog is what I it, call it. It's a it fake really designer is. dog. And so people don't do their due diligence, my favorite two words, and then they end up with one of these unhealthy dogs. Now, I'm fortunate my dog is healthy. Um, I know, Dr. Marlene, you obviously you know my dog. He is not a standard mix of colors. He is part blue. He looks harlequin, merlequin, and mantle. So some, and plus he has one brown eye and one blue, which is not that common. Not, and of course he is fixed. I, but I, even if I were a breeder, I would never breed that dog because just of the fact that he's all that, those different mixes tells me that somebody did a bad job. And unfortunately, the people I got him from originally got him from a puppy mill puppy store. Oh. So to me, that's kind of dangerous. So your thoughts on that? Well, I don't do a lot of the breeding site, but from a medical perspective, you definitely want to be paying attention to the things that are not good in the breed and the things that are. And I love the fact that there's so much genetic testing. I, I'm not involved in that side of it, but I do know a lot about genetic testing in people where they're looking for different character traits for certain problems in their health. And it really does help to understand what the genetics are. And genetics don't really rule us. It's There's a protein covering on the outside of genes, and a lot of environmental factors will affect the hormones and neurochemicals that are released in, in health conditions. But when it comes to breeding conditions, it is about the genes, and you really do want to make sure that you're uncovering the right ones and suppressing the ones that aren't going to be good for you. You know, and that leads me to kind of an off-the-wall question there. Two people who want to have a child. Is it possible to do genetic uh, tests that way to determine before they have a child? That yep. has oh, absolutely, a, yeah. A, because the, it, you're talking pretty much the same thing, whether it's humans or whether it's people. Yeah, especially for different uh, groups of people, like you know Jewish people or Chinese people, or they have their own set of genetic issues, and they will do genetic testing to find out if a couple has a greater chance to have an expression of a bad problem. That, on the medical side, as far as a nurse, um, I also worked in labor and delivery, and people will deliver a baby and, or during their second trimester, find out that something's wrong with the pregnancy. They send you, and they do all this work up on it, and then that's when they tell you, Oh, we have to do genetic counseling with you. We find that there's a, a chromosomal issue. And, you know, people don't think, oh, maybe I should be tested. And they don't give any consideration as to what health issues lie behind them. Um, it, it's, it's a careless. Yeah, you should do it beforehand right. rather than with, go ahead and, yeah. People... Uh, reproduce and and then all of a sudden oh my gosh I have this child with issues and we love them anyways but you know then we wish like gee I wish I'd have tested for that and maybe tried to avoid something you're gonna make me laugh because it makes me think maybe we should we should spay and neuter some I, people you know <laughs> I, that's I've seen that sign please that, spay and neuter people exactly people, yeah. all right well don't go anywhere we got more going back in just a moment
Do you miss that old school sound that made radio great? Let me invite you to preview Philharmonic's Jack of All Trades at philharmonicblues.com. A collection of Americana blues available as a download for $7.99. You can sample each track on the album page and try before you buy. Philharmonic, Jack of All Trades at philharmonicblues.com. That's philharmonicblues.com. Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e-commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more, call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. That's James Carner. 813-777-4332. And we're back here on the world of Lori Zook. And I want to ask Lisa a question here on the genetic tests we were just talking about. Is it very expensive to do that? Actually, a lot of the genetic testing is not as expensive as as one would think. Um, Tests can run from maybe $45, maybe up to uh, a little over $100, $125 for different tests. But what you reap by doing that in advance is uh, years of health issues. If you can prevent something, don't you want to prevent it? And isn't that $100 better spent that way or a couple hundred dollars altogether um, then on the reverse side, then, right. Then, then years of an animal suffering. So, Lisa, are you recommending that before a person buys a Great Dane or, or really any big dog, that they have that genetic testing done before they make that purchase? Uh, that's why I'm very, um, very much for um, health testing and any genetic testing, especially with the different colors, if they're not color pure. Um, to, to know in advance because a lot of people think, oh, this doggy's cute. Oh, he's deaf. It'll be okay. Um, once they get into it, they don't realize that they actually have other underlying conditions other than deafness. They don't think about that that dog doesn't react with the dog and the family that they already have, and it can be a nightmare, and, and this is where dogs like that end up back into a rescue. So would a reputable breeder have already done that? or is Absolutely. That some- okay, so the right. owner would, would ask as one of the questions, has this dog been genetically tested and, and that, for what? Yeah, and that's one of the things that I try to educate people looking for animals is you've got to know how to interview breeders. Just as much as breeders are going to ask you a, a slew of questions about your personal life, your home, and factors of how you're going to be able to care for this animal, you in turn also need to be a good interviewer and know the questions, especially pertaining to each breed, do that each breed has different health issues. And I always, always, always recommend people to go to the parent club of each breed that you're looking to purchase. Uh, They're a wealth of information. They will tell you Great Danes probably have about 12 or so really predominant issues, 
and then there's some like straggler issues that pop up and crop up here and there but um Good breeders will be trying to avoid those issues and make sure their animals are health tested or genetically tested away from them getting them. And backyard breeders, they really don't care because they don't want to invest any time or money into their animals. They just want to put dog A with dog B to equal dog C. Right. So they can sell, sell, sell. And most of the people who are buying those dogs don't think to ask the questions on the first topic because you spoke about. Because they just about. don't know. Right. You know, if you're new, you see a breed that you love, um, spend a few months doing research. Don't just and we're gonna boom. We're, yeah, we're going to come, come to that with you, Dr. Marlene, in just a second. But before I ask you those questions on, you know, rescuing or adopting and what breed is right for you, going back to raw food, is it expensive to feed? It is a little more expensive to feed, especially when you're getting into the larger breed dogs. But what I educate people on is what does it cost to fix a health care issue? If I have a, an animal comes in that has skin problems and ear infections and it becomes a chronic problem, they spend hundreds and sometimes thousands of dollars, plus the animal's miserable, plus the person has to lose time from work to go to the vet, plus they have to invest their time into treating the animal, and everybody's miserable. If you factor that into the cost of the food and you say, if I fed a more sustainable diet and I didn't have have these problems, would that really be more expensive? And I would argue with anybody that it's a lot cheaper to be healthy than it is to spend the money on the broken problems. And that's true for people too. I hear people all the time saying, oh, it's too expensive to eat organic. Well, no, it's not because when you lose a day of work because you're sick or you don't have as much vitality or you have a really bad, serious chronic illness, there is nothing that is worth your health. Because if you don't have your health, you have nothing else. And people don't seem to really understand that until they get sick. Right. It reminds me of the adage, do it right the first time. Because the second time around, sure. it's going to cost you a heck of a lot more. And especially when it comes to your health or, or your pet's health. Now, I want to go back into, um, if you're rescuing or adopting a dog, you know, people go, oh, I saw that cute little puppy, that cute big puppy, that cute fill in the blank. And so it's an impulse purchase sometimes for a lot of people. Whereas I think before you rescue or purchase any breed, you know, you should know, you should be doing your homework and finding out. So you as a veterinarian, do people come to you? Because I think that's a good idea. Do they come to you and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. And then you come in and you say what? Oh, Lori, I wish we had that question a lot more. <laughs> Unfortunately, people do that impulse purchase and they don't really understand what they're getting, the special needs of that pet, the size it's going to be, the cost to feed it. And unfortunately, after they get the pet, that's the wrong time to ask. And it's not that we should be picking on anybody and saying that they shouldn't have a pet. But if you're going to have a pet, you really have to be able to take care of that animal in a sustainable way, and you need to be able to afford it. So you may love Great Danes, but they are going to be a lot more expensive to feed than a Chihuahua. So if you can't afford to feed that animal a balanced raw diet and to do even the medications on those animals, if they do end up having a challenge, they're going to be more expensive. They're more expensive in surgery, they're more expensive for medications, and they're more expensive to feed. They're just bigger animals. If you can't afford that, then maybe that's not the pet for you. Look at an right. animal, or if you don't have the space, or if you don't have the environment, or if you don't have the time to spend with them. All of those are some of the questions that you should be asking before you purchase a pet to find out what is the animal that's going to fit into your lifestyle the best. 
And that includes even thinking about if a young couple who doesn't have children yet. Yeah, they may get a dog that maybe won't be good with children. So what are they going to do when they have a child? They're going to get rid of the dog. And it has to go. Yeah, and that that I find disturbing. And that's another one of my Craigslist peeves is you see people posting, I've got to get rid of the dog because I'm having a child. And I'm thinking, you've got to get rid of them. You never really love that dog to begin with. Because once you make a commitment to a living being and, and you have a pet... That is your responsibility financially, morally, ethically. That is that should be the equivalent of your baby. Unfortunately, in the eyes of the law in most states, you know, animals are looked at as property, yeah. not luxury as, items, right? Not as a living being, and that's where I I have that moral dilemma when I see those posts. I find it disturbing that people would think of that. I would do anything for my animal. If you're, you know, a, a pet might be a good way for a young couple to get the experience of what it's like but remember a pet you can put pet in a crate when you're when you're at work you know for a certain amount of hours you can't do that with a child Child, you know and 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 you should be thinking about well if we're going to have children then how will this pet integrate with the children so i i think that's really important now i i also want to talk about a, a topic that will probably make me cry because not too long ago, I'm going to cry, not too long ago, I had to put down my older great Dane. She was 10 and a half. Dr. Marlene, you told me about two weeks before it happened that I didn't have a lot of time. Um, you know, my other half, being a chiropractor, had, had worked on the dog, and we did everything that we possibly could do. But I actually thought that we would have a lot longer. And I have gone through this once before. I will tell you those were the two most devastating days of my life because it's the equivalent to me, someone who doesn't have children, of having to choose to put my child to sleep because I, she's looking at me going, I can't live like this anymore. How do you as a veterinarian prepare people when they're getting close, especially if they haven't gone through it before? It is a very, very deep subject. And there are many ways to approach it, and it's different for each person. But we try to understand what the spiritual beliefs of that person are. We try to be compassionate and sympathetic towards what their emotional attachment to that pet is. We try to make it part of the cycle of life because we all know we're going to die someday. That includes all of us and all of our pets. Our trees, they grow, they die. It is a cycle of life. And just like a lot of other areas in our society where we don't address reality, we we don't really deal with things as they're coming up in front of us, we don't deal with that cycle of life. So for me, I try to have my clients live the healthiest, happiest, most enjoyable life with their pet with lots of gratitude. And that way, when it comes time to say goodbye, it's, it's a goodbye with lots of gratitude, with lots of love, with lots of compassion. And knowing that we, I believe we're all eternal, including our pets, that it's part of that cycle of life. And how can we make that passing easiest and most enjoyable if anything could be an enjoyable but there are ways to make it more compassionate for the family and for the pets so personally for me I do euthanasias at home for people because I think that's where the animal is most comfortable that's where the family is most comfortable and we send them to the other side with lots of love and gratitude and compassion and joy and not try not to have any regrets right and that's that's what you did for me and I'll tell you um, before you you had come to the house, we act, I actually gave her an ice pop. I said she loves ice pops. She wasn't getting up. She couldn't move her back legs. Was paralyzed at that point. And and I went, 
okay, I'm going to make her happy, give her something that she really likes. And so that's what we did. The other thing that I do is I make it a point to tranquilize the animals so that they're more comfortable and they're more relaxed and they're not scared. And then as a family, we all talk about what were the happiest moments? What were the funniest? What did this dog do that made you laugh? What did it do that made you so frustrated? And we just celebrate the life of that animal, really appreciate all that they contributed to us. Right. Well, don't go anywhere. We've got one more segment to go. We still have more to talk about. We'll be right back. Do you suffer from back, neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 813-935-1664. 1664 today. That's 813-935-1664 and get on track to better health. Do you miss that old school sound that made radio great? Let me invite you to preview Philharmonic's Jack of All Trades at philharmonicblues.com. A collection of Americana blues available as a download for $7.99. You can sample each track on the album page and try before you buy. Philharmonic, Jack of All Trades at philharmonicblues.com. That's philharmonicblues.com. we're back and we've been talking about pets and death as you know I mentioned I recently had to have you put my dog to sleep it was time it was very very sad and there have actually been signs for me that it seems like she's still with me there have been a few kind of things that people would maybe think are crazy but you know I've heard things and not seen anything but I've heard some some sounds that only came from my dog Um, you know the concept of the rainbow bridge is that when you're when you're pets pass away they're going separately to this place just for for pets uh and i know marlene you're very metaphysical i look at it that when your animals pass away their souls they are going somewhere i don't actually think that they're going somewhere separate although i'll tell you if they are going somewhere separate i want to go where my dogs went (laughs) rather than the people because dogs are so much nicer you know Mm -hmm. pets are so much nicer uh but let's let's talk a little bit about that Okay, let's go down that rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a saying that most people know, that most people go around saying, and they'll they'll say something like, uh, "Well, nothing happens by accident." And I've been practicing for 30 years, and I've watched the relationship between the animal and that person. And in the last good 10 to 15 years, I've been really open and aware of that relationship. And I've seen more and more that there is no accident that there is a particular pet with that particular owner. 
And there's a particular health challenge that is very relevant to that owner, whether that pet is channeling information for that person to have an experience or that pet is reflecting something that that person needs to be aware of. And through the experience that that the pet brings forward, we're able to have this discussion and we can see the gifts, the blessings, the, the wonderful messages that these animals really do travel with us and they show us and I do believe that these animals travel in soul families with us and that they have been there gathering that etherical information that it's almost like a vortex of information and that they present things to us at a time when we need to see it not to sit there and dwell on the negative but to be able to see the blessings to be able to release things that we no longer need maybe whatever the negative emotion is once you're aware of it and you can actually release it Sort of like in your computer, you have a lot of files in your computer, and there's a lot of documents in there. And if you just look at your computer and yell at it, delete, 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 it's not going to delete anything because it's you haven't picked anything to delete. But when you're having an experience and it involves your pet and it brings up specific emotions, particularly negative emotions, it's almost like you can see the contrast and you can say, oh, isn't that interesting? I'm seeing this emotion and maybe this is something that I've had for whatever reason, seen it before, carried it before, had this experience before, and it's not serving you any longer. So you can take the stance of, oh, well, I'm just gonna be a victim in the story. Or you can take the stance of, what can I do differently in this particular moment, in this particular experience that could lead me to a better place, a more conscious place, a place of higher awareness, and therefore be able to have a better experience in the future. Now, you made an interesting comment. In my case, with my Great Danes, I feel like they, they, they chose me, all of them actually chose me they each came to me under kind of unusual circumstances but in a way i look at it that they rescued me i didn't rescue them um lisa what are your thoughts on it i believe that our life is enriched with these animals and each one of them comes to us for a reason to teach us a life lesson to show us something and in that it adds to the enrichment of our lives a learning process that we all must go through and learn something. And sometimes after you've had an animal, it's like a light bulb goes on. And it's just like, oh my gosh, that dog, cat, whatever, just taught me something that I know all my whole life I needed to know. Um, I have, in my bedroom, I let my dog sleep in my bedroom with me. So it's their eternal gift Mm -hmm. to sleep in my bedroom forever in their boxes of ashes, obviously. And um, I have 11 boxes over these 32 years. But everybody, um, each one gave me a little gift, a little message. And and like you were saying before, you know, that you think that your your dog, it's like like a deja vu or something out of the, the, you hear something or see something that reminds you of that pet and you can see it like a butterfly flittering outside and they're free but they're still here looking after you. It's so true Lori. I I think we get too stuck in the story of our existence and if we 
pretend, whether it's real or not, if we pretend that we're actually living in a hologram and that everything that we see in our experience from the animals that we have to what to nature to the people that come in and out of our lives, if we look at everything as a clue, sort of like a treasure hunt, and everything has significance, if you have a, an emotional charge to something, it could either be negative or it could be positive, the contrast of being able to see those experiences allows you to use your emotional navigation system to say, oh, this is something that I want more of. This feels good. It's positive. So then you continue more in that direction. And if it's something that leaves you feeling a lot of resistance or a lot of negative energy, that's kind of like your GPS system going, that's not really the direction you should be heading in. And that and that's where I think animals and nature and every experience around us really does offer a lot of clues for us. We just have forgotten how to pay attention to the clues. We need to reawaken ourselves to the treasure hunt and be more aware of how are we getting our navigation. It's really totally through our emotions. Right now, I remember on a, on a previous show, you told me a story. I just vaguely remember people who had a pet and, and the pet somehow communicated to you that there was a problem between these two people. Do you remember that story? Oh, I have hundreds. <laughs> I don't remember that All particular right. one. Okay, maybe share, maybe share one just to you know, give an example. Well, um, recently, there's so many, let me think a second. Uh, I recently had an experience where I had an owner whose son had passed away and they felt very disconcerted, like this person could not communicate with their son. And through the process, I had this intuitive idea to go ahead and reconnect that person and teach them how they could actually communicate through muscle testing, through sway testing with their son. And it was really profound. And then I had another experience with a lady who also had not been able to communicate with her father who was killed many, many years ago. And it was a really interesting myriad of experiences, but the animal that they brought in was having severe dental problems. And through our conversation, the, the, information that her father had passed away many, many years ago in the military and that his remains had just been returned to them. And something made me ask, what were those remains? And it was a tooth. And the mother looked at me and I looked at her. We had a tooth. We had a cat with stomatitis. And actually, really what it was, was her father trying to communicate with her. And she just had a strong belief system that muscle testing and all that was just it was just a joke and yet and that's why she couldn't communicate with them so when we had that our conversation not only did the cat get better but she was able to communicate and answer a lot of questions for herself and feel the support from her dad i know this sounds really woo woo but you have to go through an experience like that to really understand it and if you haven't been open to the experience you're not going to have it but when you open yourself up and you allow experiences to come to you they just start flowing so one of the things i have people do is have an evidence journal and that way when they see things that happen in their experience, instead of just dismissing it, they start writing it down and then they're going, okay, there, that has to be more than just a coincidence. There has to be something to that because they generate a thought and then all of a sudden they have all the supportive information that comes in right behind it. That is not an accident. No, there's no such thing as coincidence. Too and, many and, and, coincidences and end up pointing a, a bright red arrow like, 
Here's mm-hmm. go your this way. answer. That's yeah. it. Go this way. And, and when and you write that it. evidence journal, it really helps you to start seeing that those dots really are connected. Mm-hmm. Great. I want to thank both of you for joining me today. Uh, Dr. Marlene Siegel, give out your contact information. It is Pasco Veterinary Medical Center www.pascovet and our phone number is 813-973-2929 and you can like us on Facebook, you can join us on LinkedIn, on Twitter or just go to our blog site. Gotcha. And Lisa Williams. Hi. um, What I want people to know is if they want to help rescue animals, Great Danes in particular, or if they just want to know more about it, go to Facebook or they can um, search the internet for Great Dane Love Central Florida.org, or so it's GDLCF.org. And um, great people working there. They can give you lots of information. I personally um, am with the Great Dane Club of North Central Florida. I'm the rescue coordinator, and I'm at North Star Danes at yahoo.com. Great. Thank you guys very much. I just want to let anyone know on the Northeast, I'm from Mid-Atlantic Great Dane Rescue League.org, which covers most of the Mid-Atlantic states if you're looking to adopt or rescue a Great Dane. And of course, with rescues, you're always in need of volunteers and fosters and, and funds, of course. Donations. Donations, exactly. Item donations, anything. Time donations, anything. Exactly. Thanks again for joining me. Thank and you. we'll be back next week on The World of Lori Zook. Looking for an exciting adventure? Look no further than Mission Sun and Fun. The biggest air show in the South is back and better than ever. Your mission takes flight April 5th through the 10th, so make plans today to join us for the action. Come see aerial acrobatics and high-powered performers, including the world-famous Brightling Jet Team. Walk among historic warbirds on our open flight line and experience everything from vintage aircraft to today's modern military fighters. All week long, you can experience daily air shows, a kid's zone, and sample great food. Plus, don't forget to take advantage of the Florida resident weekend special saturday april 9th and sunday april 10th experience three shows for the price of one see the brightling jet team perform at 3 p.m stay for the night air show complete with acrobatic flyers pyrotechnics and a fireworks display and then come back sunday for an additional show so make plans now to bring the whole family in experience mission sun and fun for ticket information and showtimes visit us at sunandfun.org it's the 2016 sun and fun international fly-in and expo april 5th through the 10th in lakeland